Welcome to The Spin Cycle. I'm Maggie Sarachek. And I'm Abby Greenberg. And together we are the Anxiety Sisters. Anxiety Sisters, and welcome to our show. It won't surprise any pet owner to learn that animals are good for our physical health. After all, they encourage us to exercise, keep routines, and be social. What may surprise some, however, is just how beneficial animals can be for our mental health. Did you know that petting an animal lowers your heart rate and your blood pressure? Did you know that interaction with friendly animals stimulates the body's production of oxytocin, which is a feel-good hormone known to reduce anxiety and also reduces cortisol, which is a stress hormone? Did you know that social anxiety sufferers report fewer symptoms when their dogs accompany them in social situations? Did you know that children with pets experience significantly less separation and social anxiety than kids without pets? Hmm. Our guest today understands just how healing animals can be. He and his golden retriever, Earl, are inseparable and together run GoFetch Wellness, an organization dedicated to educating, advocating for, and facilitating the integration of animals into mental health and addiction recovery. Please Please welcome welcome Jeff Jeff Fink and Earl. And Earl, yep. Hi, Jeff. Thank you. Thank you. uh, I'll speak for Earl and say we're both extremely happy to be here it's been too long (laughs) since we've talked to the anxiety sisters together and uh we're just we're glad to be part of this uh wonderful podcast oh well thanks so much for joining us yeah we're so happy to have you here i miss a good hug from earl yeah (laughs) he's so soft yeah so um like us you've used your own experience trying to manage anxiety and depression to help other people in their recovery journeys can you share with our listeners a little bit about your story and how Earl came into your life? Yeah, I can. Um, you know, I, I actually am, I'm, I'm really glad to be on a podcast, you know, with the, with the title of anxiety, because uh, for me, anxiety has been something that has been with me far before any kind of official diagnosis from the time I can remember as a kid you know, worrying and constantly worrying about everything from grades to sports to friendships to clothes to anything in between. And it was kind of like, you know, what is this? And is this normal? And do other people worry this much? And I remember talking to my peers when we were elementary, middle school level, and certainly first as as a guy being so open about, you know, struggle and worry was already a little bit like, what are you talking about? And second, you know, people didn't have the same level of worry Mm -hmm. I did. And so, you know, what I realized is looking back, I certainly had, uh, you know, mental health challenges from a young age, but certainly that didn't hit me and hit me to the point where it incapacitated me until I got to freshman year of college uh, and I was in, I'm from Georgia, but I was up in Madison, Wisconsin. I wanted to get as far away from home as possible. (laughs) Didn't realize that it got freezing in Wisconsin. Uh, Probably wasn't a good idea for someone that likes to be outdoors and that's where they calm their brain. But that 
was really where um, severe mental illness, and at that point, it was more kind of severe depression hit. And that Mm -hmm. started uh, a life um, full of, um, you know, what a lot of people experience when you start experiencing, you know, moods that down moods and starting to think about not wanting to be alive and crying for no reason and crying all the time and being unable to focus in school or, uh, you know, being um, noticing that when you're, you know, doing things like a lot of college kids do, like excessive drinking, how bad you would feel the next day and how down that's, that's where, um, you know, mental illness started. And when I got my first uh, psychiatric medication from a young uh, uh, psychiatric resident uh, at, uh, you know, at, at a school there. And it was, uh, it was certainly a journey that if I could kind of go back in time, you know, I would love to do different things to uh, have made it more of a successful integration of kind of mental health treatment into my life. But for whatever reason, um, it, it was not smooth sailing. It wasn't, hey, let's go ahead and we, we're going to find a medication or it may take us a few trials and we'll find one and then we're, we're going to get you back on, on the road and we're going to do some talk therapy and, and life will be manageable. It, it certainly did not look like that for me. I think that that's true for many, many of our listeners and certainly it's been true for me and Mags at different points in our own journeys. Mm-hmm. Were you able to stay at college? I, I did. I transferred from, from Wisconsin back to uh, the University of Georgia, needed to be closer to home, closer to medical resources, uh, you know, to family, to connections, to, to things that can help with mental health in general. And I did finish college. It took me an extra year, but I think that's, uh, you know, that's a goal yeah, for a lot of people. That's that pretty want to normal. That's, yeah, that's very normal. That's good. Yeah. <laughs> you know, for some reason, I was able to get through school, but I, I definitely uh, struggled severely along the way. And in uh, college, you know, I think part of how I got through is because I was around people. I was, you know, I had roommates. I wasn't, you know, sitting at home at my mm-hmm. parents' house, unable to connect with others. So I would, I had a lot of distractions for my mind, but, you know, my depressions were still uh, very severe. And while they didn't take me out of the game for years on end, they certainly um, caused me, you know, some tremendous pain and suffering. And the hardest part of those college years and beyond was, the fact that I wasn't able to be open with anyone. We weren't seeing mental health talked about on campus. We didn't see groups like Active Minds and other you know, mental yes. health um, student-run groups. We didn't hear, uh, we didn't have as much in terms of social media or you know, people um, you know, being able to access all this information through the internet. Sounds like I'm old, but... Uh, you're older (laughs) but um but you know it it was it was stigma was very strong it's still strong but it was way stronger than um you know i would especially for men too especially for men especially you know i would i would remember i when at wisconsin i would be you know crying and hiding in the bathroom of a co-ed dorm and didn't want the girls next door to see me crying who i was you know supposed to be this, you know, fun loving person that was always in a good mood. And, you know, I was just suffering so much inside. And I know that a, a goal of mine is to help people realize how just detrimental that is to not be able to be open and say, you know, just like 
I have diabetes or I, you know, I am, am battling cancer and going through mm-hmm. chemo. You know, I have, I have a form of mental illness. I'm angry sometimes. I'm sad, but I still need friendships and I still need connectivity and I need support like anybody else that's struggling. Mm-hmm. And, um, that, that was tough, you know, living in that, in that shadow, trying to be one person to everybody else, but really, you know, just suffering inside. We so definitely, that- we definitely understand that. So you had, so you went through college and then after college, the depression, I guess, continued or maybe intensified. And so we were kind of wondering the story of how you found Earl. And- after college, my, uh, my depression's you know, they changed a lot and they intensified and in the anxiety portion was kind of leading the charge. So my, you know, my, as you talk about anxiety a lot, you hear different types of anxiety. You hear work, you hear anxious depression, which can be kind of like similar to bipolar depression. And, you know, these are just words, but what does that mean? It means that your brain is going nonstop, almost like someone describes uh, the mania of depression, except mania of depression, you know, you're, oh, I'm spending money. I want to build a house. I want to fly across the country. I want to, you know, I want to start 12 businesses. Well, that same thing was happening to me, but it was, you know, it was like a mania of depression and anxiety. And it, that's how that incapacitated me to the point where I couldn't leave. I was bedridden for years where I couldn't leave the house. I didn't, I didn't have any desire to eat. I didn't have, I couldn't function. I couldn't talk to people. I didn't want to see anything. I didn't want to watch TV. I was triggered by any and everything out there. Opening my eyes was triggering. I could see a bird and somehow connect that with, you know, with something that's bad that's happened in my life or a failure. And, you know, it was really difficult because I saw my friends kind of going off and starting their careers and Mm -hmm. build families and, I was just, you know, I was, I was fighting for my life every minute of every day, every hour. And, uh, that was the better part of, of 10 years. Now there were some breaks in there where I, you know, I moved out to Colorado and I was working in real estate and skiing every day. And it was awesome and restaurants. And, you know, I was feeling functional and I was feeling joy and I wasn't and I wasn't in extreme suffering and, and torment and torture, but for the most part, I was, I was juggling medication trial after medication trial. In mm-hmm. the end, I think I was tried on 70 combinations of psychiatric wow. Wow. And, you know, I went through ECT, electric shock therapy at 25 years old. I did uh, transcranial magnetic stimulation uh, eight years ago. I've done so many things to try to treat the depression. A lot of those things have kind of resulted in my being treatment resistant. And, you know, what does that mean? It means resistant to like kind of the, the medical model, you know, right. treatment, treatment is, is I look at it as a whole person approach. So treatment is, it can be, and it surely needs to be for some people, some kind of medication therapy, some kind of talk therapy, but then all these other things out there, exercise, meditation, social connectivity, animals, fresh air, uh, soothing environment, good people in your life. And I had to find something else outside of trying another medication or drilling a hole into my brain to try to stimulate, you know, parts of the brain that aren't active or too active. You know, that's where, um, along the way, someone suggested getting an animal and, or, you know, a dog and said, I can't take care of a dog. I can't care for myself. Mm -hmm. But in the end, 
It was getting Earl, who's now six and a half, that has completely transformed my life. And, I th- and I'm careful to say transform my life to where listeners might say, oh, well, you know, so Earl is that medicine you were looking for. And, and you know, now you're better. No, I'm, I'm not better. I still experience severe downturns and, you know, including in the last five months have been extremely tough with thoughts of not wanting to be alive with, with, uh, you know, all those same thoughts that are so familiar yet so powerful each time they come back. But what having him in my life has done has created, you know, this incredible purpose behind go fetch wellness and behind what we do to help others suffer uh, way less than, than I've suffered and that other people out there that are most likely listening to this podcast have suffered and to help people really understand and connect with that human animal bond and what that can do for your life, but also what you uh, can do to really make that bond flourish and be uh, a, a very stabilizing factor for you. You know, Abby and I often say that we could be we could have been the depression sisters instead of the anxiety sisters. The two were so closely connected. And while- I really just wanted to pick one that sounded the best. <laughs> well, I haven't experienced, you know, the length or intensity of the depression you're talking about. I definitely, and so does Abby, know what it feels like to be depressed. And well, I know what it's like to be bedridden from depression. Yeah. So when I got Earl, it, was, it had been like four years where I hadn't been functioning at all. Um, and I had a puppy and it was... Uh, a a completely and totally new experience. I mean, I was so excited to be not feeling pain, to have my own place, to have this being that was there with me where I wasn't just sitting by myself, you know, isolated, scared. Why am I around to now I'm around because this dog relies on me. If I am sick and crying and unable to get out of bed, then Earl doesn't eat. Earl doesn't exercise. He has an accident in the house. He chews up stuff. I mean, puppies are a ton of work for, yes. <laughs> you know, yes. no- it's not that different from having a baby. Yeah. <laughs> no. And I, you know, I don't have any human babies, but I, I can tell you that I think Earl certainly was a little bit more, uh, work than some, I don't know if it's all goldens. I've They're heard, super- I've heard golden retrievers are a handful to start. They're a handful. They're stubborn. They're going to, you know, I always talk about this, but he was known for kind of seeing a pile of horse poop and just like diving in, (laughs) whatever, you know, as I'm screaming, I'm running after him. But these are the types of things that got me completely focused on him. All this worry and self-doubt and things that we, you know, we, we experience. It was, you didn't have time because if I turn my head for a second, he's chewing up the couch or he's, you know, (laughs) swallowing a sock or doing whatever he's doing. So, you know, that got me out and the feeling of like wanting to give him the best life I could and wanting Mm -hmm. him to experience the best life any dog could, because I feel like I wasn't able to experience that for myself. That drove me every day, no matter what, sick or well, to get out, take him for a walk in the woods. I would feel better. He would get into trouble. That combined with training him to be a psychiatric service dog, which, um, you know, a lot of people are confused between all the different terms. So I'll just kind of touch on that really okay. quick. That would um, be great. Yeah, so that would be helpful. He's, he's a psychiatric service dog, which means he's been trained to do work 
or task to mitigate a disability. So what that can look like for psychiatric dogs can be you're having a panic attack and you're on the ground, the dog learns to put their weight on top of you, which right. is down. It's kind of like a weighted blanket, if you've ever heard yes, of that. Yes, I've, I've seen dogs help kids with autism, having a meltdown, and they kind of lie on them and, and give then, them and some they, weight. Now, a lot of times we're, we miss touch from people. We miss like a hug or someone mm -hmm. holding your hand. So you have that. You can get that. You mentioned in the beginning oxytocin. You can get that release from a dog or from another animal or from even watching um, them on TV or fish in a fish tank. And so there's so many ways to get this other than, you know, grabbing a, a golden retriever puppy, <laughs> um, which, you know, is certainly uh, a, a bit of caution when I'm, when I'm working with people to you know, not go out and get a puppy just because they've heard this story, but it's, and it's other things. They can search rooms for people. They can alert you if someone's coming up behind you and you're real hypervigilant. We see that a lot with, uh, veterans with, that experience symptoms of PTSD. And, um, Absolutely. and so, you know, a psychiatric service dog is trained to do that. And they're also trained to behave in public. So they're out there where you see um, dogs aren't typically, which is restaurants, movie theaters, grocery stores, places that dogs aren't allowed. Certainly we see the media covering the, the stories out there that are people taking advantage of it. I think that's few and far between. I think there's yes. really good people out there that have really bonded with their dogs and have done a lot of hard work to get them out there representing service dogs for mental health in a good light. So that's a, that's a service dog. And before I move on to the other two, in training a service dog, you train them in what's called public access. And by doing that, that's where I started really seeing that people were interested in what we were doing and they were open to talk about mental health. Oh my gosh, is that you're training that for someone else? Are you training it for a veteran? That's so cool. You're training it for, you know, for a child with autism or or whatever it might be. But the point is people would be talking to me. I'm a stranger. I'm not their therapist about stuff like we're talking about now. And that is one of the most powerful parts of, of what I want to do is show that animals can be that conduit for us to be able to mm -hmm. end the stigma, talk about this openly, get people to really understand that, you know, everyone experiences something mental health related along the way. With a psychiatric service dog, do, do you train your own dog or does someone train the dog for you? Both. I mean, if you're if you're fortunate enough to either have the funds to be able to raise to get an organization to train a psychiatric service dog for you, that's great. Sometimes they the cost can be between twenty and sixty thousand dollars per dog. Oh my gosh! Oh my goodness. Or you can work with your own dog, but our focus is kind of taking the 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 focus away from service dogs because of the time because of the expense you once told me that it doesn't have to be a service dog to be helpful another type that's very common is emotional support animals and so support animals are basically a pet it's a companion animal that uh, has special protections when they fly or in certain housing environments other than that most people that I talk to about their dogs, their cats, their guinea pigs, their chickens, their fish, their whatever, those animals are providing emotional support. That's what, you know, that's what animals do for us. That's what we do for them. So, mm -hmm. you know, kind of focusing on, oh, my dog's a service dog or an emotional support animal or what is it? You know, I think that it's not as important.
first of all, how do you figure out what type of animal is best for you? You can learn from every type of animal. So if we just focus on dogs for now, you can learn from the most difficult dog at a shelter. Let's talk about, you know, of course, they always get thrown under the bus, the pit bull breed or, or you know, mm -hmm. that breed in general. Or, oh, or I love pitties. I mm -hmm. love them. They're great. They're great dogs. But they're very stigmatized, don't you think? They're very stigmatized. And it's then you see stuff on the news and Delta bans pit bulls and whatever it is. And, you know, they ban all of them. They ban service pit bulls. They've been all pit bulls. Just basically. Yes. Yes. In, in Miami, because I, I know a veteran who had pit bulls who were emotional support animals. I don't know if they were certified or not, but when he moved to my, he moved to Florida, he moved to Miami and there was problems keeping his pit bulls because I, I think they've yeah, been Florida, banned. Florida is particularly awful to pit bulls. Now I'm not saying that there haven't been pit bulls that have, that have hurt people. I, you know, I understand that, but I have to tell you, they can be some of the gentlest, sweetest, best dogs with kids you've ever seen. Mm. I hope in, in the work that, you know, I do and others are doing that we start to see that it's not, it's not the dog. It's the way they're raised. If you were to tie up a, a golden retriever for 23 hours a day on a leash in the hot sun of Florida, you know, are they going to be nice to the baby that walks by? No, they're probably going to be just angry. They're going to have their own problems. But, you know, that's, that's well, that's another podcast. But so go, how does someone go about this whole process? First, don't worry about the designation of your animal. That's, that's right, the first right. Don't worry about, do you, if you want a service dog, keep that in the back of your head, you know, because that is difficult to end up doing if you want an emotional support animal, most likely if you have anxiety, depression, you would be um, granted that right by your mental health professional. When I work with people individually in different parts mm -hmm. of the country, I try to figure out have they ever been around a dog or a big dog or a little dog? And, oh, no, I haven't. Well, then to start them on a process of, of being around different animals, working with uh, their local shelter or rescue fostering, doing really everything you can before getting your own dog, making sure that you have the, the infrastructure in the place and the finances and the understanding of what you're getting into. And then you have a lot of knowledge around it too. So when you do get that puppy or that two-year-old dog, or you rescue an animal or you get a purebred or whatever it might be, you're ready for it. But during that time period between the time before you get the dog, your mm -hmm. initial inquiry, and the time that you get the dog, that is all time where you're still experiencing benefits of animals and the, and the connection. You're still experiencing, oh, I've been walking dogs three days a week at the Humane Society. And it's so cool. Like all the people stop and I'm talking, I'm having these great conversations. And, you know, I didn't talk to anyone for two years before this. So you're, so you're already kind of like going through the process. We see it we see it in like the prison systems when, you know, those that are incarcerated are raising a dog to be placed with a, you know, wounded warrior, someone that um, is looking for a service dog on the outside. And this whole time that they're, you know, bonding with this dog, they're learning. They're learning about, you know, puppies. They're learning about, you know, uh, the amount of exercise they need. They're looking at their cues on their behavior. They're learning about themselves. Those that kind of take their time. And, you know, just like they're not going to just dive into anything else without kind of getting some knowledge around it. Those people are then setting themselves up for success when they end up getting their 
animal. Oh, that's interesting. That is interesting, the idea of preparation. Yes, especially when you've been battling any kind of illness and it's a big responsibility, as you said. I'm sure it can be overwhelming. You mentioned to us before that you sometimes work with schools or different organizations through Go Fetch Wellness, and we were, we were wondering if you could talk about that a little. Yeah, certainly. So, you know, Go Fetch Wellness has, I've certainly cast a very wide net because what I found when I was looking for help was that I was always like just outside of the parameters of, oh, you're, it's, we're only helping, you know, 18 to 27. I was 28 or I was 17 or we only work with veterans or non-vet. I'm not a veteran, you know, so I felt like, look, I want people to hear this message, whether they are talking about workplace mental health, talking about bullying and anxiety in middle school, talking about stress and grades and, you know, whatever in high school, talking about you know, college and financial responsibility and school and social media and, you know, everything else in between. I think that people, you know, deserve to hear this message. So, you know, Go Fetch Wellness started first where I was working at, at a senior living center. This is where I just wanted to plug a therapy dog like Earl was being then mm-hmm. when, you, when you take a dog into a place or another type of animal into a senior living center or a school or a hospital, those are dogs that are therapy dogs. You're sharing your dog with someone else. So it, it's just one way for someone that maybe has, has a pet at home and says, hey, you know, I don't care about training my dog to be a service dog, but I do want to share it with others. So I want that dog to be a therapy dog. So then they could go out go through the training and then they could share it at a community mental health center, let's say. Mm-hmm. But where do, you get, where do you get that kind of training? A lot of it is just, it's basic obedience, but there's, there's classes, you know, some of the bigger uh, pet places will have classes and you want to try to get like things like canine, good citizen. There's lots of different organizations and different States that do it as well. So there's not a lot that are offering that kind of training and then helping place therapy teams in the mental health space. So that's, you know, a a goal. So when we started working, Earl was a therapy dog for others. Then we started leading psychoeducational groups to whereas if anyone's ever been to a psychiatric hospital or ever been to outpatient clinics where you're doing groups all day long, you do the same groups for the most part. It's life skills, it's social skills, it's financial skills. Why don't we have an animal group? Why isn't there a track for animals, for people that really, you know, want to learn all that they can about animals? They don't want to talk about themselves or analyze their past or think about their thinking patterns. They just need that unconditional love, the the Mm -hmm. touch of an animal. They want to look at an animal's behavior. You know, we're talking about people that are smart. I think a lot of people that experience mental health challenges are very intelligent And, you know, you have to be more creative with how you reach them. When I speak somewhere, I don't want to just share my story. I want to share my story. And then I want people getting excited about, you know, being part of the GoFetch Wellness Network and having a program at their school that involves animals, you know, active minds and GoFetch Wellness on X campus or something like that. Because then we're now we're giving people the ability to hear a message, to hopefully get inspired and have some hope to say, you know what, this is something I haven't tried yet. I've tried a lot of meds like Jeff. I've done the, you know, yeah, I've done more invasive treatments, but I haven't really explored how an animal can be in my life. And I want to learn more and I want to 
join this group. That's kind of my focus of why I would want to spread this message at a university or at a high school. Well, I was a college professor for many years, and the university that I last worked at, um, during finals week and reading week, we used to bring in therapy dogs and counselors. And, you know, it's interesting that the students really didn't take advantage of the free counseling that we offered, but they all came to, to sit with the dogs. And it, it was amazing. It just, you could feel the tension leaking out of the room. You could feel just, just them sitting with the dog's head on their knee was all the difference in the world. I mean, some of the kids came up to us and said, this is just the best thing that could have possibly happened around exam time. So we couldn't agree with you more about the need for animals to be connectors in schools, on university campuses and community colleges and middle schools. It's senior it's centers. Senior centers. I've come across so many colleges when I, where I talk to them. Oh, we, we actually have a animal program. Oh, you do? What does that look like? Well, it's exactly like you're saying. We have a few therapy dogs that come in twice a year for finals for an hour in the library. And it's the best thing in the world. And all the students love it. So I, my question for them is, well, that's not a program. You're doing great work by introducing them. But if something is that popular among students, why is there not more going on? Why are we not trying to build on that and say, hey, all those that are here for the exam time dogs, if you're interested in kind of becoming more involved in our community, you know, we've got this, we've got some cool programming and yeah, you can get college credit, you know, for the high school students and in college, this could be part of an internship or something. And we're going to do a lot more than the exam time therapy dogs. What does that programming look like or what could it look like? Very, very good questions. And what I think it looks like is it can be extremely simple. I, I love working with rescue animals, and I think a lot of people relate to that. And there's just, I think, a lot that can be learned through, through rescue, through animals that have kind of lost their way, lost their home, and lost their support network and their families. It's connecting with the local rescues of the Humane Society type of things and someone on campus. It's Go Fetch Wellness acting as a facilitator because what what the goal is to say you know maybe there's a clinician out there and says i i want to volunteer my time you know you've got the executive director of a humane society that says you know we really want to support mental health and so we would love to be able to allow you space here monday wednesday and friday and we're gonna you know help kind of cycle you through the responsibilities of caring for animals and then i just think that that as that happens um, and we see more programs, there's just going to be more validity to this. And it's going to be integrated into mental health treatment to where those hospitals now, you know, they might offer this at different levels, inpatient, mm -hmm. maybe you learn about animals in your curriculum. And then, oh, that was really, you felt better that day? Well, here, during your discharge planning, we're going to connect you with the Go Fetch Wellness Network in your area. So anyone out there that's listening to me that has any experience with any of this, or if you're just interested in this coming to your area, we need help on a variety of fronts from, you know, engaging with social media to program implementation to getting schools and companies that want us to come in and talk about animals and humans and mental health. Yeah, that's really, really good work. And you know that we want to help you in any way that we can, because we're all for it. For our listeners, we first met Jeff 
because he's part of an incredible documentary called Beyond Silence. We have a link to it on our website. It's under resources and movies. It also has its own website. Very worth watching it's Beyond a very, Silence. Very, very worthwhile documentary. One of the best mental health documentaries I've ever seen. Mm -hmm. We were really impressed. And that's when we, we were lucky enough to meet Jeff and Earl and um, the other participants in the movie. Can you tell us about that experience a little bit? Yeah, it was, um, well, talk about anxiety, you know, when you just, uh, <laughs> when you're called and said, you know, you they want you to be part of this documentary and it's executive produced by Demi Lovato and you're sending a film crew from New York to a house or uh, what are we talking about? And I'm not ready for this. And so, you know, it's definitely... Uh, anxiety beforehand but you know everyone that I, I worked with there was just incredible and it was really a um it was really a, a an exciting project it's it's three people's stories so it was myself Lauren and of Lloyd and so it's three different unique mm -hmm. stories about people that have experienced severe and persistent mental illness and kind of what that look like and what we do in our community to help encourage people to speak up. You know, it was incredible. I mean, we got to, we went out to LA and we did a, you know, a full on premiere of the documentary and got to meet Demi. And, um, you know, she's just an, a really strong advocate for, you know, a variety of mental health. She's an anxiety and, sister too. <laughs> yeah. She's an anxiety sister for sure. And, you know, she uses her voice and her reach to help a ton of people. And she obviously still struggles like, like many of us. Again, the movie is beyond silence for all of our anxiety sisters. You can go on our website and see it. It is so worthwhile. You can also go to Jeff. Can you give the Earl, the, the Earl, but not your Earl again? Be vocal, speak up. Dot com. In terms of my information, so our, our website is just gofetchwellness.com. There's the also a link to Jeff's website on our resources section. You can just click on the picture of Jeff and Earl and you will go right to Go Fetch Wellness. You'll either develop a crush on Jeff or Earl or both. Right. That's just the thing that happens. As long as it's advancing mental health, crushes are okay. <laughs> but yeah, you can also find us on Instagram. It's at Go Fetch Wellness or, or Facebook, same thing, Go Fetch Wellness, Twitter, same thing. If you're out there and you're a clinician, we offer a, a clinical training. You know, for us, it's important to have the, the medical, mental health professional world on board and understanding this as a real viable option to recommend. If you have an idea, there is no idea that is not interesting to me if it involves animals and people. As you can tell from, from this podcast, he deeply cares about everyone's mental health journey. He really wants to help. I think that miracles can happen with animals. Mm -hmm. I really do. Mm -hmm. Let's call them miracles for now, but as science catches up, we're going to show that it's going to be a lot more than blood pressure and cortisol. I really think that this will be part of mainstream mental health treatment. We want to be part of your community and we want to help in any way we can. Jeff is extraordinarily busy. We've been trying to book him for a really long time, but he's always often around the country. So thank you for taking time out of your really busy schedule to chat with us today. And we really hope we can see you and Earl soon. For sure. We're, we're looking forward to wherever you're at. And let's We'll try to find a place that's got perfect weather, mountains, or beaches. <laughs> we'll, yeah, we'll, yeah we, need, we need a hike with Earl. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, okay. thank you so much again. I'm, I'm sure our listeners really appreciate hearing from you too. Really, really important information. You can find us, as well as Jeff, on Facebook, on Instagram, on Twitter, and at our website, anxietysisters.com. 
As always, if you have feedback, especially compliments, questions, or ideas, or even some criticism, please email us. And if you like our podcast, please leave us a review on iTunes so more people will hear it. And we're on Spotify now. And we are on Spotify and SoundCloud. So you can you can leave us a review anywhere you want. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining us. And remember, anxiety sisters don't go it alone. You've been listening to The Spin Cycle, an Anxiety Sisters production. Copyright 2019. All rights reserved.